and uh, following models of Shalom Bayes treatment that I had learned you know there are treatments of how to do it and I was trying to do the work like anyone else in the in the Olamataka in Lakewood this is what I was doing and then I discovered that I had a lot of cases that seemed to be following a pattern and the pattern was incredible and then I realized how prevalent this pattern was and again I was flawed and the pattern was as follows I get a case usually it's a young couple married somewhere around five years young couple five years they've got one two three kids something like that five six years maybe two or three kids and somewhere into this marriage five or six five years into the marriage the husband gets caught with pornography that's everyone knows pornography unfortunately is magazines literature material of pornographic nature and they get caught with this pornography the wife goes nuts the wife goes crazy she can't handle this she's like she married as far as she was concerned she married a ventoda and she cannot understand how on earth this happened. And she's crazy, and they go to the rock, they go to Mashkir, and this, eventually they send them to me, and the couple come in, and, uh, and uh, he's completely traumatized, this guy who's been caught, so to speak, red-handed with pornography. He's embarrassed out of his brain, and she's furious, understandably so. You know, she feels cheated and jilted and all the rest of it. And so starts a process of therapy. Uh, this is where I get the case. And I get so many of these that now I know what they're about. I didn't then. The first time, in all honesty, I, I was clueless. And it was complete siyatishmaya and a total accident that happened that nearly got me in big trouble. Fortunately, Mashkirch was there. Matzal Shlitzer. And he got me off the hook and helped me out with this one. But it was, I, made, I made a mistake in a way. That I, I wasn't even aware it was a mistake, but it was a sort of a therapeutic intervention. Now I do it all the time. It's like a standard intervention with these cases. And what happened was, they, they're talking about this case. <clears throat> I'm trying to comprehend what drove this guy. The, guy the, the woman seems to be a nice, friendly, attractive, uh, like a regular nice lady. Like the, the, So at the end of the session, after one or two sessions, by accident, I had inquired in front of both of them, I'd asked the husband if he could help me understand what was the interest in pornography, why was that more enjoyable than his own wife? What, that was the question I asked this man. A simple question. I, I was just, it wasn't even now when I ask it. It's deliberate, it's provocative, it's timed right, there's a place when and how I ask this question, and it's intervention. I didn't know then it was. That night, the first time I did it, the husband calls me up in a panic calls me in a panic my phone is ringing non-stop and he's the guy is clearly in a panic and I can hear in the background shrieking and screaming and banging his wife went completely nuts that night completely crazy and she went crazy she actually threw a chair through a window of their house she went mad that night she had like a mini nervous breakdown that night and it appears that what had happened was the question I asked, which is such a good question, touched at something they hadn't yet talked about, which is the fact that, yes, it's true he fell into pornography as an avla and avera and a terrible thing, and he shouldn't, you know, without talking, we don't have to go that direction. But the question was, Taka, why wasn't his wife? Why wasn't he interested? And the answer was, because she wasn't interested in him. And she wasn't available and interested in him because she was an abuse victim and she had kind of held herself together somehow to get on the map of being a legitimate family 
And a legitimate Haredi Shafrum family has to produce a couple of kids. You've got to have two or three kids in the first few years to be on the map, to have a certain sense of pride. And, you know, so, so this poor woman, un- and there's so many like it, unaware, buried her abuse that happened to her in her childhood, got married, she basically was, so to speak, grin and bear it, tolerated the intimacy because the prevailing need was, i got to have babies or I'm not legitimate. So she basically was never really intimate in an intimate way. She was, you know, they, they got pregnant. They got, she got pregnant. That's all that happened. But there wasn't an intimate relationship, nothing, which froze the guy out. For Schleitzer, I understand, you know, and he understood, and we all understand what he did was wrong, but that was the result, so to speak, of a duchval that happened because his wife had frozen him out intimately, completely, and the poor guy had become sabrachan, and that case was a sexual abuse case. In fact, that first case was a horrendous sexual abuse case. It took me through Besden, it took me through Abonim, it was awful, because that was one of the few cases where the father had abused his own daughter. And she buried it completely. She had no memory of it at the time. The memories in the course of therapy started coming back, which is typical of trauma. She just buried the memories. And as it started coming back, this poor woman went completely crazy. It took three years of treatment to bring her back to life. Three years. Since that case happened, then I realized it was happening more and more and more. And there were more and more cases I realized. I totally didn't have the case, what it was really, the Yusaitis, what it was about. And it was either he or she had reacted to sexual abuse had had sexual abuse, and now the triggers, the trauma triggers, which we'll talk about what trauma is and how it works later on, but the triggers that triggered them when they got married came out once they got married, and they were the survivors of childhood sexual abuse who stayed on the derrick, who buried all their feelings, you never even know who they are. They somehow got through, and yet when they got married, it wrecked their marriage. And many of these people get divorced. Now I know amongst my colleagues how many of these cases they come and consult with me on when it's too late and they got divorced or are getting divorced and it's just I can't take all the cases. But they, the whole you saw of the case wasn't a shalom bias about middles and behavior. It was a sexual abuse case that wasn't treated. And it wrecks marriage. I see all, almost all the fast divorces. I don't know if that's afflicting this country yet, but it's afflicting us in Lakewood big time, is the young couples getting married and quickly getting divorced. You know, in a few months, three, four, they're out. Almost all those cases are sexual abuse cases. That sounds like a crazy thing to say, but just based on experience, what happens is they get married and it triggers the old feelings which will come to PTSD and the triggers and what that means later, it triggers the old stuff, which is now transferred on the hatred, the unconscious hatred of the person who did it. So it's now transferred on the person who's triggering those feelings now. And when you react that way towards them, the recipient is the recipient of, like, you're a monster the way you're reacting to me. Unaware that really he, in a normal behavior, or she, is triggering the old abuse that now gets transferred over there. And the reaction is they're a monster. When you treat someone like a monster, it doesn't take long till a young chosen or color will treat them back with disgusting behavior too because you're treating me like an animal and so they get divorced very rapidly 
and, I, and the more and more of those that I've seen, I now realized in my own practice, and as my, I, I, I supervise a lot of young, Mashkech has pushed me to sort of train and supervise, so I realized so many of them, and, and their younger ones, are now dealing with these cases that turn out to be sexual abuse cases too. So these two things I never dreamt would bring me into that arena, but working with these two populations, which is the only thing I really work with anymore, turns out that you're dealing with sexual abuse commonly and frequently in treating and healing old sexual abuse where you're really just doing what is the Shalom Bayes or the Off the Deck but that's really the underlying case and now I'm not suggesting that every Shalom Bayes case is that I'm not suggesting that every Off the Deck kid 20% is not that's for sure but I know 80% are nor does it suggest that every kid who's sexually abused will go off the derrick. I didn't say that either. I simply said 80% of those who are off report sexual abuse. I don't even know if that's truly the reason. It just seems logical it is. So by way of introduction, that's really what I'm trying to bring to your attention, is that these things, we are unaware of it. As clinicians, as therapists, we're kind of walking into this world ourselves, constantly uncovering, understanding what's happening in people's lives, and realizing how deep and how widespread this problem really is. And it is profound. Let's start with, um, I'm going to go to number three. I think I got there. Although I'll mention two, 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 is I went through this last point. There's very little hard data. But I will tell you this. I, I'm now doing the work 25 years. At one point, I went through about 10 years of case files to see what my notes said. Again, this is not hard science, because it's me and it's only my work. It doesn't really mean, although I'd seen, I've seen thousands of, family systems by now, literally thousands. Um, but when I went through my case files, I was only looking for women, I wasn't looking for men at the time, so I don't have the evidence on men. But what I did discover is that of women presenting for therapy, of Haredi women presenting for therapy, that, tw- that one in five, 20% reported they were walking in with the knowledge they'd been sexually abused and asking for help. That's one in five. So if one in five, it seems logical to me that the group of people in our world who actually have the guts and courage to go to therapy is a smaller number than the group who need therapy but don't have the courage or money to go. I think think that's a pretty fair statement. I think most of us agree. So if 20% of those who have the courage, it's hard to believe that they're the, the courageous ones were the only ones sexually abused. You know, one would have to think that it's got to be consistent in the community at large, that, and, and it's an incredible statistic, if it is. But that was the first early statistic that I saw, is one in five were already walking in knowing this had happened to them and wanting to talk about it. And of course, the numbers grew as more and more until the numbers were incredible of the population in therapy who were reporting sexual abuse and realizing that they were unaware, completely unaware it had happened to them. Okay, so number three, terminology. You, you notice I'm using the words sexual abuse and molestation. I use those interchangeably because essentially they're the same thing. Sexual abuse you know, refers to the, the, um, the diagnostic sort of term. Molestation is the act. Molestation causes sexual abuse. So the molestation is the act, where sexual abuse is the abuse, is what happens to a person. They're interchangeable. Pedophilia is not. Pedophiles do sexual abuse. 
person is a pedophile, they will sexually abuse. But a molester is not necessarily a pedophile. A pedophile is necessarily a molester or a sexual abuser. Again, but a molester is not a pedophile. This is important. I want to explain why. Yeah. Oh, pedophilia, you call it here. Do they spell it with an A over here? They spell it A-E? I thought so. We spell it B. They drop all that stuff in America. But I, uh, but they, I think I, I seem to remember it was A, right? How do they pronounce it here? Pedophilia. Pedophilia. Okay, pedophilia. We, they call it pedophilia bats. Okay? I'll probably slip. I don't know if I'm going to keep pedophilia. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. The um, the confusion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to explain right now what it is. Um, what happened? This also you're not the only one who doesn't understand. By the way, this is I'm raising it for this reason because I have a real bee in my bonnet about something that's going on. I'm happy on the one hand. Well, look, I'm sad about the whole subject. I wish it didn't exist, but now that it does, okay. I'm happy that finally there is some discussion in the literature about these subjects so that we can deal with it. Well, I've, I've warned for years that there will be, like in America, I warned them when the Catholic Church went through their you know, accusations and, and whatever, I told them they're after us and they're going to look for us till they get us. They will find, and they will eventually find cases, and they will humiliate us. They're going to look for it, and they are looking for it. Very hard, they're looking for it. These cases I know are going on in this country, they're looking for it. They want to get back at us, and they want to bring us down and humiliate That's posture. And I've been warning for years, if we do not talk about this, sooner or later they're going to bring us down. It's just inevitable, because they're looking for it, and they will, they will find it. So I felt it was important we start discussing this subject and have it. I didn't know how to do it, and we had hot debates. Well, how do we do that? You know, how do we, whatever. In this debate, while we were all like thinking about how to do it, people started publishing in, in Mishpacha magazine and in uh, even Hamudia magazine had an article on it. And then the Ated had mentioned a few. They, they, when I first said the word sexual abuse to the Mashkir about 15 years ago, he went to me like this. Shaman. Like he couldn't handle the word. He couldn't handle the word. He was so taken aback that I said that word in front of him in his office. He was really quite taken aback. Now, he told me that most of what he deals with, with people coming in all day, goes back to this. That's what he's told me. It's tragic. I was happy that... Again, not happy, it's the wrong word, but I was... It was a positive move that we were discussing this publicly. The problem is that if you read the articles in Mishpacha and the Ated Numadiyah, and I've challenged people on this many times. I don't know if anyone's ever seen these articles and read them about molestation. I don't want to say the names of the people writing them, but they mean well. They do mean well. The problem is their facts are wrong. And here's the problem. So it's good in one hand that we're actually talking about it. What's terrible about it is to say the wrong facts completely misleads everyone. And the example and case in point is as follows. If you read any article so far in a mishpacha or any of these kind of magazines about molestation, if you read any, and I've done this with people, I said, read this article, and I want to talk to you. So you read the article, I said, okay, just give me an instant answer. What is the picture you've now got in your head of a molester? What, is, what does that person look like? Just don't think, just tell me. Does anyone care to answer? Would anyone care to answer what that picture would be in your head if you read such a magazine? 
<laughs> the not bad. That's right. It's a dirty old man in a raincoat. Right? A best is a dirty old man in a raincoat, some old guy, or it's a Rebbe. This is the impression you get reading these articles. That is the prevailing belief of anyone who reads these articles. It's either a dirty old man in a raincoat, or it's a Rebbe. It's an utter nonsense. It's completely not true. While there are some dirty old men in raincoats and some rebellion who probably are dirty old men in raincoats, if they're doing this, they would be both. Svedinim, right? They would, but that's a miat shebamiat of what molestation is doing to our community. It's a mashu, it's heinous. It's heinous. And it needs to be dealt with in a very profound way, and it's a different thing. That's pedophilia. Old men, the age differential is, is five years or more. It's five years or more. M- molesting. Old men molesting someone younger. The pedophilia, well look, I, I define it. Look at four. Let's, let's do this. According to DSM-4R, pedophilia is specified as a form of paraphilia. That means a sexual, uh, aberrant sexual behavior in which a person either has acted on intense sexual urges towards children or experiences recurrent sexual urges towards and fantasies about children that cause distress or interpersonal difficulty. In other words, the person has sexual desire for children and has either acted on it or the fantasies and desires alone cause them grief. They can't cope, they can't live because they're obsessed with those fantasies. The disorder is common amongst people who commit child sexual abuse. I don't know why it says common in the book because that is it. That is child sexual abuse. It means in the group of child sexual abusers, it's common to find pedophiles. This is in the lay American in the DSM-4. However, some offenders do not meet the clinical diagnosis standard for pedophilia. In strictly behavioral context, the word pedophilia has been used to refer to child sexual abuse itself, also called pedophilic behavior. Now, if you look over, let's just do the next part. The diagnostic criteria in the DSM-4, DSM-4 is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. So it says, over a period of at least six months, recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child or children, generally aged 13 years or younger. That means an older man who is interested in sexual activity with someone under puberty, 13 years or under. The person has acted, B, on these sexual urges, or the sexual urges of fantasies cause marked distress or interpersonal difficulties. They've either done it, or they've tried to do it, and they want to do it, and they can't stop the desires to do it. Now look at C. The person is at least 16 years old, and at least 5 years older than the child or children in criterion A. This differentiates pedophilia from all other child molestation. Because almost all of the molestation we're going to talk about is not by someone five years or old, older. That doesn't have the five years, it's older children to younger children. Almost all molestation that's wrecking our community and sexual abuse, which is not talked about in any of the magazines, they don't mention it. It's a pillar to me. Because 95%, and I mean 95%, of all sexual abuse is committed by older children who themselves were molested to younger children. Kids don't wake up and just decide to molest and they, unless they were molested. It's older children hurting younger children. This is what we're dealing with. This is our sugya tonight. There is a sugya called pedophilia. Pe- pe- pedophilia. There is a sugya called pedophilia. 
that sugya is the one that they write about, and that's a miat shiva miat. It's heinous. It's horrendous. When it happens, you know, it should be dealt with. Would I say something wrong again? Okay, heinous. Oh, I'm so sorry. Clarification is fine. Like kashas, that's later. Heinous. How do you say it? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I've lost my English. Okay, what can I tell you? Oh, Lushen. <laughs> I raise my hand when I say Lushen Kodesh. Okay. So, so the distortion is paladic and incredibly misleading because all this effort and energy is about a disorder called pedophilia, pedophilia, which has a different treatment, is an utterly different thing. It's a criminal act. It's, you know, and, and the way to deal with it has its own mahalach, and I have some ideas about what we're meant to do about that. That's not our sugya, everybody said. It's not our sugya. What we're dealing with is older children hurting young children. We're dealing with sexual, child sexual abuse, almost always committed by children. And when I say children, I'm going to be liberal with the word child to say up to 20. I'm going to say up to 20. And even if a 19 or 20-year-old would touch someone uh, 12 or 13 years old, so you have the six years, it still, in my opinion, is nothing to do with pedophilia. They're not pedophiles. They shouldn't be looked at as pedophiles. I'm not even sure that they develop into pedophiles. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think it's true whatsoever. Who molested the oldest child? Another when he was younger, and I'm going to come to who molested who. We're going to come to how the whole shalshalis happens, and there is a shalshalis because every time, like a community will call me that we have an outbreak of molestation, I always tell them right away, you don't have an outbreak, you have an outbreak. That's what you have. Because once we get into this sugya, you're going to discover a hierarchy of generational molestation, and there's going to be tens of kids. Are you ready for this, or would you like to call another agency who won't do that? They'll just tell you in a nice parent evening. You must forgive me, but I'm really, really frustrated with what happens in many communities that are yotzegevain. With you know, we'll do. We'll, there's agencies in America. I'm not going to mention them. Who will come in and do it in a very nice parent evening. This won't offend anyone, and it's very benign and nothing much will happen and everyone feels reassured that we've done something and you've done nothing. You've actually created a full sense of security. When, when a, there was a certain community this summer asked me to come in and because they'd had an outbreak and address the community and I asked them if the Rav and the community was asking to me coming and they said yes. I said well then he obviously doesn't know what I'm going to say. Please tell him what I'm going to say. And they said what? What are you going to say? Tell him I'm going to scare the living daylights out of your community. So the message I got back was, we do want Europe, Shema, but please don't scare anyone. So I said, find someone else. I'm the wrong person. I can't do that. I think it's really wrong to have parents sit down and give them a drasha that's not going to scare the living daylights out of them. Because if you don't scare them, they won't take it seriously. That's what we've discovered time and time again. So all the politeness in the world is not going to help stopping sexual child abuse. So, inappropriately scaring them? Of course not. But appropriately scaring them? Absolutely. They should walk out and sit afterwards when they realize, I see entire mishpachas wrecked, where the older kids were molested, unfortunately, molested the younger kids, and of a family of seven or eight children, five of them go off the derech. And everyone looks at this family as like, obviously they're messed up. 
you know, the parenting must be off, you know, everyone's looking for a terrorist, you know, they're Bali Chuma, they, they didn't really learn, she's too fancy, they go to the library, you know, everyone's looking for a terrorist, something to pin on them to be Matarits. Especially, and then they said, well, they just function anyway. Take a look, they let their kids watch movies. That's the biggest time. Why, they'd much rather the kids watch movies than run around doing drugs on the streets, hanging out with Goyim. It's a very difficult choice they got to make. And someone somewhere, I assure you, is encouraging them quietly in the basement, let them watch a movie, is a lot better, I mean, less worse. Let's say not a lot better, but it's less worse than running around with a guy and doing drugs. If you can get through this scoofer keeping them home with watching some movies, that's better, less worse than running around doing drugs. Right? This partial. And meanwhile, so, oh, you know, they do movies. They let, uh, no wonder the kids went off. Meanwhile, it was molestation, systemic, right down the system. I've seen countless families where the whole family system from top to bottom was wrecked. And they, tremendous years of avoida to work to get the kids back. To help that, and it may not be possible if you don't do it early. So yeah, I want to scare people. But I want to scare them appropriately to be honest about what this subject is and how to treat it. So going back again, the, 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 the terminology is important that we understand that which is talked about as pedophilia, the subject of old men or the, the occasional Rebbe who's inappropriate, which is obviously heinous, using a power position, inappropriate is a heinous, heinous, what's the right word? How do you say it? Heinous. He, he, a genius. Genius. Henius? Genius. Genius with an H. Well, really. Henius. Wow. It's a genius. Sounds like Sherlock Holmes. It's like genius. Sounds like a genius thing. Um, it's not. It's not the subject that really is the thrust of what we need to look at, which is children, unfortunately, playing around with other children. That's that's the subject. So that's the first shift. It's just to abandon that thought. And, and then it's amazing when you read all the stuff, you see they're back there again, and they completely miss the point. It's very, very frustrating. It's good we're talking, but it's very frustrating because it's so misleading. That's a rare case, yeah, it's a very rare case. That's why I said it was like one of those rare I said it was one of those rare cases. They happen, but they're very rare. Okay, let's go to number five, child sexual abuse. By the way, my plan is to talk until I'm really exhausted. Um, and then take a short break. I do want to try, I don't know if we'll use the whole four hours, maybe we will, maybe we need more, I don't really know. We'll see what happens. But my plan was to um, to try and leave time for questions like, and I think the questions you need to ask me afterwards that will be helpful are moving forward afterwards about, you know, so what are we meant to do? If you could think of if those questions come up, they, they're good questions to talk about afterwards. Um, and, and of course, anything else, I'm happy to take questions. For clarification purposes, I'm, I'm more than happy if you just interrupt me as you're doing. That'll be fine. Okay, so child sexual abuse, what is it? So number five, child sexual abuse is a form of child abuse in which a child is abused primarily for the sexual gratification of, a, of an adult or older adolescent, which is our case, older adolescent. And it's primarily most sexual abusers will have and do have and will grow up to have a normal heterosexual life with treatment and with help. They are almost always victims. We're not doing pedophiles now. Let's drop pedophiles for the sake of... Unless I mention pedophilia, we're talking about children hurting other children. And most of those kids are going to grow up and with treatment and help to heal what happened to them 
and which is included by when the treatment is them working with the people they have abused to make the appropriate amends and apologies that's actually part crucial to their own healing to, to heal them but they will they will grow up and they will have a um, they will have a normal life however in the act of sexual abuse what is being done by the abuser A to the abusee B is that it's defined by being primarily for the sexual benefit of A why do I say this? we're going to go with the rest in a moment and the reason is because people always ask the question what about two kids just playing? everyone knows kids are playing doctor you know you'll show me mine I'll show you yours and the little kids play and we all know kids do play like that that's not child sexual abuse and it often in my humble opinion doesn't even cause child sexual abuse it's there's a uh, not encouraging it, not supporting it, not promoting it. But I know it happens where kids will, you know, little kids will show each other their private parts. Little kids, and they, that's, and they have to be scolded and told appropriately that's not sneerstick, and that's the end of it. That's not child sexual abuse. And it could be, by the way, but it's not. And you'll see there's like, unfortunately, there's lumbus within the lumbus of each one of these things. So there is a technical place where that could actually be, and we'll come to that later. But as it is, it's not. Because the ingredient happens in child sexual abuse, where the what is happening is for the primary sexual benefit of the abuser. That person is trying to gain something by doing this act to the other person. So there's essentially the abuser and the abusee. That's the first thing to understand about abuse. So that cuts out where two kids are just playing around together or talking together. That doesn't have the as- necessarily the aspect of abuse. In addition to direct sexual contact, Child sexual abuse also occurs when an adult, and in brackets, this is mine, or any other person who possesses or whom the victim perceives as possessing a power or control over the victim, indecently exposes their genitalia to a child, asks asks or pressures a child to engage in sexual activities, displays pornography to a child, or uses a child to produce child pornography. These are the definitive statements that you'll find in the literature. I just sort of group them all together. They're not exclusive. There are others too. But these are the main things that define and describe what abuse is. 